You've lived long enough to know that life doesn't become easier as you grow older. In many ways, it gets harder. However, those years of spiritual growth will produce two things in you. You'll have a greater level of both spiritual maturity and wisdom. The prophet Daniel provides an example of how that godly wisdom can meet the spiritual challenges you face, whether you're young or old. Stephen has a lesson for you called How to Make a Difference in Babylon. I'm always a little concerned that the average Christian is under the impression that the older you become, the lighter the battle with temptation becomes, the the easier it becomes to walk with God. Let me tell you, there's a biography in the Bible that shatters those false impressions. It's called the Book of Daniel. And we've been sailing through this biography in our wisdom journey now for several sessions. By the time you reach chapter 6, Daniel is in his late 80s. He spent most of his life in this foreign country that had defeated his own people, perhaps even killed his parents some 70 years earlier. But in spite of it all, and obviously according to the plan of God, Daniel becomes the chief magi, the leader of Babylon's wise men. He's going to make a great impact here in the land of Babylon. In fact, his spiritual descendants will one day travel to Bethlehem to worship the newborn king. Now, you may remember from our previous study that Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians. So now here in chapter 6, Darius the Mede is king. Actually, Darius serves under the Persian king, Cyrus. Darius is a vice-regent. He's been chosen by Cyrus to reign as king in this particular region in the empire. You also need to keep in mind that Darius isn't a personal name. It's a title, like Caesar or Pharaoh. In fact, the word dera, from which Darius apparently is derived, is the Persian word for king. History actually reveals for us that his personal name was Gubaru. He's going to reign in the city of Babylon for some 14 years. But he's he's going to need an honest man to keep everybody in line, and he's about to promote Daniel to second in command. But don't be mistaken, this isn't going to make Daniel's walk with God Uh, his life there in this foreign country any easier. In fact, nearly all of the events recorded in his life are, are simply one crisis after another, and these crises aren't over yet. Now, as we go through this chapter, let me give you four qualities that characterize Daniel. And by the way, these four qualities need to characterize you if you want to make a difference in the Babylon where God has assigned you today. The first characteristic is a gracious personality. Verse 3 says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He possesses, did you notice, an excellent spirit. You, You could actually translate this an excellent personality. And simply put, this this means that Daniel had a wonderful attitude. He was known uh, with having a gracious spirit. 
about him. And listen, don't overlook the obvious. By the age of 85, Daniel could have become by now a, a rather ornery old man, angry that he'd lost his family, uh, bitter that he'd spent his life in this pagan foreign land, but instead he's marked by this gracious, winsome personality. Well, the second characteristic I want to pull out of his biography is the characteristic of integrity. You see, when the news leaks out that Darius is going to promote Daniel, we're told here in verse 4, the other officials tried to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding government affairs, but they could find no evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy. I mean, come on. Daniel's got to be hiding some dirty laundry somewhere, but they can't find anything. By the way, beloved, keep this in mind. They're not checking out his Old Testament reading plan. Uh, They're not checking out how many times he talked about God. You see, when the world starts examining your life as a believer, they don't care how many times you go to church. They just want to know if you show up on time. They want to know if you do an honest day's work. So what do these officials do now? Well, they come up with a, with a rather clever plan to use Daniel's prayer life against him. They make a suggestion to the king here in verse 7. Establish an ordinance that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. In other words, Darius, O great king, we want to make you the god of the month. Nobody can pray to any other god except you for the next 30 days. And Darius, you know, in all his humility, thinks this is a pretty good idea. Well, with that, a third characteristic comes into play here in the life of Daniel, and I'll just call it consistency. Verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, Daniel could have decided to have a month of silent prayer. He could have, he could have chosen to keep his windows shut for a month. He could avoid what he obviously knows is a trap. But Daniel refuses to change his pattern in spite of this incredible pressure. Verse 11 says that these men catch him praying, and, and they run off and immediately report him to the king. And with that, Daniel's life is once again turned upside down. And don't miss it here, not because he's faithless, but because he's faithful. Well, Darius now tries to find a loophole in this 30-day declaration, but there isn't any. Daniel is he's going to have to be thrown to the lion's. I I love the liberal scholars here who come along and say these aren't real lions at all. This is just poetic language for Daniel's political enemies. They're the lions. Well, let me tell you, Daniel would be happy with a little poetic language about now, but this isn't poetry. This is reality. In fact, verse 16 makes it clear. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. 
Daniel doesn't respond, by the way, and I I think that's because he knows God is not obligated to deliver him. In fact, I I personally believe that Daniel assumes he's lived a full life, and and this lion's den is going to be for him the front door into heaven. We know from ancient discoveries that this den more than likely would have had a middle partition separating Daniel from the lions, and that means that Daniel, at some point, would have heard the gate in that middle partition opening to allow the lions to enter. I have to wonder, did he brace himself for the impact of those hungry lions? Was he afraid? Well, I I believe he would have been to some measure. He's just as human as you and me. He's, He's probably wondering at this point how long it's going to take before he dies. What we do know, however, is that this den suddenly grew strangely quiet. Daniel was allowed by God to see an angel binding the lion's mouths with some kind of invisible cord. Well, at first daylight, here in verse 20, the king races over there shouting, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you imagine his shock as he hears the voice of Daniel? Now, before I read Daniel's response, let's not go too quickly. Let me give you a fourth quality that characterizes Daniel's testimony here. And in a word, it's humility. Daniel answers in verse 22, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel just states the facts here. There's no bragging. There's no demand for revenge or or even an apology. He could have given the king quite a lecture, by the way, for allowing this to happen. He could have acted rather arrogantly. You know, listen, king, uh, didn't you know I'm God's prophet? And by the way, I've gotten to know all these lions down here. I've even named them. There's Princess over there, and this is Leo. This is Cuddles uh, right here. I ought to come down here more often. No. Oh, no. Daniel doesn't do any of that. He, he just declares his innocence, and then he gives all the glory for his rescue to God. Now, does this mean Daniel's life gets easier? Oh, no. Don't ever forget that Daniel uh, is going to live in this pagan land. He'll always be in this land a minority. He's, he's going to be appreciated by some, but he's going to be hated. He's going to be ignored by many. Get this. God will never allow Daniel to return home to Jerusalem. He serves in this foreign land his entire life. He's been divinely appointed to make a difference in Babylon. How did he do that? Well, we're told through a gracious personality, through personal integrity, consistency, and humility. Uh, Let's live that way ourselves as we live today in our Babylon, as we live for the glory of God. Well, until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Wherever God has placed you, he's called you to make a difference. That's why Stephen called this lesson, How to Make a Difference in Babylon. This is The Wisdom Journey, and we'd like to help you on your journey with God by providing the truth of God's Word every weekday. God will use this time in His Word to build you up in the faith and make you more effective in your service for Him. Our website, where you can learn more or access our other resources, is wisdomonline.org. We've rolled out new technology that allows our website to be experienced in multiple languages. As God enables us to develop more languages, we'll be able to present those to a global audience. Visit wisdomonline.org to see what I'm talking about. Then join us back here next time on The Wisdom Journey. Wisdom Journey